There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Wednesday morning, the 6th of February. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. The British Prime Minister is in Belfast today where she will meet political parties in Stormont. Theresa May will once again outline her commitment to preventing a hard border on the island of Ireland resulting from Brexit. The PM began her visit to Northern Ireland yesterday telling business leaders this commitment was unshakable. But Mrs May said that Northern Ireland does not have to rely on the Irish government or the European Union to prevent a return to borders of the past. The UK government will not let that happen. The Prime Minister said, I will not let that happen. Mrs May, however, said her unshakable commitment was conditional. The backstop is the sticking point in the UK reaching a withdrawal deal with the EU. The backstop is the insurance policy for avoiding a hard border or the ultimate guarantee it won't happen. But in typical contradictory fashion, Mrs May says the backstop must be changed if a solution is to be found. Colm Shannon is Chief Executive of the Chamber of Commerce in Newry and on the line. And a very good morning to you and thanks for joining us. I'm sure like all of the business leaders in Northern Ireland. You're concerned at the prospect that there will be no deal and a return to a hard border. The Taoiseach is in Brussels today to discuss exactly that eventuality and the idea that there will be no deal. Uh, Where do you think this is going at this stage? Good morning, uh, Michael. Um, Yes, you're you're right. Uh, There's a lot of concern, particularly in in border communities like Newry, uh, that potentially we could be heading for a, a no deal scenario. And for us, an open border is essential for our local businesses if we are continuing to operate uh, the way we have operated uh, for the last uh, 20-odd years. Um, Our concern with yesterday, I mean, first of all, I would say that we were disappointed as a a border uh, chamber representing some 200 organisations not to be invited to, to meet with the Prime Minister. We had met with her twice before Christmas when she was looking our support about the withdrawal agreement and the backstop, uh, but we we, feel, we felt we were excluded uh, yesterday and our board um, was uh, extremely disappointed. We had a board meeting yesterday and some of our board members were astonished that we weren't invited. Um, we found the Prime Minister's uh, message yesterday confusing. Uh, it's welcome that she gave the commitment again about no hard border, uh, but then she said that the backstop would have to be changed 
yet for us before Christmas he said that the, the backstop was the only solution uh, so we find that, that somewhat confusing. Do you believe that Mrs May speaks on your behalf, on behalf of the business community in Northern Ireland or on behalf of the people of Northern Ireland for that matter? Well, she is the UK Prime Minister and would claim to speak on behalf of all of the people uh, um, in the UK, but uh, Northern Ireland voted uh, to stay within the EU. Uh, The majority of the businesses that um, I would represent uh, voted to stay in the EU, uh, but we saw the withdrawal agreement and the backstop uh, as the only way to avoid a a hard border on the island of Ireland. Uh, And does that mean that the wishes of the people of Northern Ireland, the 56% of people who voted to stay in the European Union, are ignored? Well, um, uh, the option was to, that we wanted was to stay in the EU. We saw the backstop as the, the best option, and we were extremely concerned last week uh, to see the Prime Minister move away from that. Yesterday, her messages were somewhat confusing, where she seemed to indicate that um, she wants to avoid a hard border that will require some changes to the backstop. Personally, as businesses here in Uri, we don't know how she's going to deliver um, no hard border, the avoidance of tariffs, the avoidance of a regulatory border without a backstop. Yeah, and it's an odd situation, isn't it, in that uh, she has to pander, if you like, uh, to the wishes of Tory rebels, uh, but not just uh, members of her own party, but also to the 10 DUP MPs whose support she relies on. And that's the difficulty um uh, seeking a majority for any outcome in the, the House of Commons is going to be extremely difficult for her. The only majority in the House of Commons, thankfully at the moment, seems to be against uh, ending up in a hard deal. Uh, but as businesses, we would be concerned that with such such limited time left, we could all end up there by, by accident. Uh, her challenge is to try and secure a compromise deal. And uh, for us, the, the backstop was a compromise. We felt that a lot of, uh, particularly the English MPs, did not understand the border, mm. had not visited the border, <clears throat> and did not understand how business and, and everyday life, not just business, but everyday life, operated across uh, an open border. Do you wonder if Mrs May understands the deal that she negotiated herself? Because part of that deal was the backstop, and this is a, a guarantee. Now, she says she doesn't want to remove the guarantee that there won't be a return to a hard border. She wants to change the guarantee. So she wants a guarantee without the guarantees, it would seem. Yeah, I, I think she does understand the deal uh, because she's been involved in this long enough now, but she's just trying to find a compromise. Uh, and I, I don't think it's a cross-party compromise. She's trying to get a compromise that will get her through uh, her difficulties with, mm. with her own party. Um, they seem to be talking about uh, a time limit, but then that's not a backstop. Um, it, 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 my concern and the concern of businesses here would be that a time limit would become the new deadline. And given the difficulties that e- the EU has had in negotiations with uh, uh, the UK, um, what trust is there that the UK wouldn't use this as the next deadline and mm. then just set it out and change their mind again? Well, it's a black and white scenario, isn't it? You either have a backstop or you don't. You either have a guarantee yes. or you don't. She says she wants to change the guarantee rather than replace it, but you can't change a guarantee without having a guarantee in place or not. You either have it or you don't, you replace it or you don't. Indeed, and uh, we we believe that it is the only option on the table. Obviously, we would prefer to stay in the EU 
um, but we believe uh, that the backstop will broadly allow us to continue to trade and operate as, as we have um, for the last 20-odd years. And I, I think the point that's getting missed in, in, in all of this, there's a lot of focus on you know, the technicalities of the mm. backstop, but, but look at how the Northern Ireland economy, and particularly look at how the border economy has, has grown, particularly on both sides of the border, uh, here in here in Newry and also in, in, in County Live. If you look back to the, to the 1980s, unemployment um, in the Newry area was sitting in the high 20%. Today we're down to around 3%, and that is a result of an open border. Our business has been able to trade north, south, and beyond, and our concern would be that that all could be lost uh, with the return of a hard border or even return of um, further bureaucracy. We have reading again this morning discussions around trusted traders, um, checks at, at, at factory premises, um, some businesses could potentially cope with that, some of the larger mm. businesses, but the small businesses, which is really the lifeblood of our economy, can't. And when we, when the, the UK um, Leave campaigners were campaigning to leave the EU, they talked about uh, getting rid of bu- bureaucracy. But what they're talking about now is bringing back more bureaucracy that will really inhibit businesses uh, growing. All right. Uh, It seems as though uh, the European officials who were here yesterday were talking about uh, the prospect of uh, no deal, hard border scenario. Uh, The Irish Times reporting uh, this morning that uh, the discussions centred on customs and sanitary controls at ports and airports, uh, the UK land bridge, energy business, preparedness, agriculture and fisheries, taxation, transport, medicines, judicial cooperation, the common travel area and data sharing. Just some of the issues I suppose that we all face into the Taoiseach as I said earlier is in Brussels today to talk about the prospect of no deal and the return to a hard border which would be the consequence for us on this island he'll return home tomorrow and Mrs May will go to Brussels to try and reopen the negotiations but I don't think uh, there's uh, much appetite in Europe for that Uh, are you bracing yourself for a, a no deal scenario? Well, our, our businesses uh, have to prepare uh, for a no-deal scenario, and a number of them have, would have taken steps already. Uh, the larger businesses have the resources to do that. It's still going to be a cost. It's going to cost their bottom line, and potentially it could impact on jobs. But it's the smaller business uh, that finds it much more difficult. If you're running a, a one-to-five-person business um, two, three miles from the border, you, you, there's no advantage in you lifting your business and moving it to Dundalk or vice versa from Dundalk to, to Newry. That's a cost that a small business can't can't cope with. If it's if seventy eighty percent of their trade is is north south, it's very difficult to change that. So yes, they they are making uh, contingency arrangements, but for some businesses, it's, it's very it's very difficult. They just have to wait to see to see what happens. I mean, you mentioned mm. the, the, the discussions yesterday. There's some 150 areas of cooperation that have developed on the island of Ireland, everything from energy through to health through to environment, and particularly in the agri-food area. It's very difficult to, to unpick that. And any any impediments, any tariff barriers, any regulatory barriers mm. uh, will have an immediate impact on, on that level of cooperation. 
and prevent further growth and cooperation on the island. Indeed, the trade, the movement of goods, uh, the regulations uh, that uh, apply all in question, to some extent uh, the movement of people because uh, you'll have uh, people from other European countries living on both sides of the border who work on the other side of the border. There's issues like the train, the enterprise train, uh, which uh, would have to uh, be dealt with somewhat differently in a, a scenario like this. Uh, and I'd imagine as well there's a, a lot of unknowns at this stage. Uh, well, a lot of, there's a lot of work has gone on uh, into, into preparing uh, both businesses and, and, and life in the area in terms of what, what, what might happen. But it's just the, the level of integration in our, uh, our economy uh, and our community life on the island of Ireland that has grown up. Um, since the Good Friday Agreement, since the borders were open again, um, all of that uh, could be put at risk if we have a return uh, to a tariff or a, regulator, a regulatory border, and that is our concern. Mm. And what we need now is, but if you look at issues like on our commitment to deliver. Uh, no hard border. But if you look at issues like the all-island electricity market column, mm-hmm. uh, that could pose very serious problems, as I understand it, in Northern Ireland. I mean, there was talk at one stage of uh, barges uh, out on the border with uh, electricity generators to supply you. That, that That is a real concern and always has been a concern. And if you go back to um, devolution times when um, Martin McGuinness uh, and... Um, uh, the First Minister Arlene uh, Foster wrote to the Prime Minister and set out basically the ask of the devolved government at that time back, I think it was 2016. Two uh, energy was one of their top priorities because they recognised uh, the, the concerns that there were. Uh, we had an all-island uh, electricity market being developed and it's an all-island market. It's not two different markets. It's one market controlled by one set of regulations. So if that changes, then that could have a real impact on the cost of energy in Northern Ireland. I'm not sure if Mrs May is flogging a dead horse or trying to reinvent the wheel, if you know what I mean. Uh, but uh, it seems as though she's going nowhere fast at this stage. Uh, what's your best hope? Is it that this negotiation period will be extended by some degree? Well, it, it would look uh, that they're going to have to have some form of extension because even if um, she does manage to, to secure some form of deal and get that through the House of Commons, uh, she's running out of legislative time uh, to complete the other bits of legislation uh, to allow the UK to leave on, on the 29th of March. Mm. The, the complication around extending the deadline is the European election in May and what impact that might have. But yes... She certainly is running out of uh, running out of time. But as businesses here in Uri um, have said to me, they want a decision. They need clarity, and we need to move on. Um, but we would just like to know what that decision is. And our message to the, the Prime Minister has been very clear. We expect her to honour her commitment. Uh, and deliver a deal which avoids a hard border. Indeed, I think Mrs May had said that the 21st of January was, in effect, the deadline in order to have all of uh, the items in place uh, by uh, the 29th of March. Uh, But uh, if a deal proves uh, elusive, would you hope for a second referendum? Um, It's hard to know. I mean... Uh, what the outcome of a second referendum might might be. We'd prefer that 
Um, we, we stayed, certainly businesses would prefer that we stayed in the EU. Um, it's just the uncertainty around uh, another referendum. Uh, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, our chamber hasn't taken a view on that at this point in time. Our position was we wanted to stay in the EU, mm. but we saw the, be- uh, you know, the best option on the table as, as the backstop because that allowed it is to broadly continue to trade as we do at the moment. Okay, and uh, I suppose just to conclude, Chambers of Commerce would tend to be apolitical. Uh, do you have any message for the DUP? Well, uh, we are apolitical, and I suppose our, our message um, to, to all political parties is that uh, we need to make sure that the deal that is arrived at allows uh, businesses and local economies to continue to grow and prosper as they have for the last 20-odd years. Mm, but you're quite happy with the backstop. Uh, would you prefer that the DUP changed its position in relation to, to the backstop? I think that would be uh, an unrealistic expectation, uh, having listened to their position uh, for the last year or more. All right, Colm, we leave it there for the moment, and thank you indeed for joining us this morning. Colm Shannon, Chief Executive of uh, Newry Chamber of Commerce and Trade. Michael Reed on LMFM. I mentioned yesterday that I was amazed uh, to think uh, that some 80,000 households in this country don't have a a formal contract with a bin company to deal with uh, their waste. I imagine Fianna Fáil councillor in Navin, Tommy Riley, is not quite as amazed based on what he's been telling Mead County Council. As you heard on LMFM News, he's issues about people dumping rubbish in their gardens. Good morning, Tommy. Good morning, Michael, and Happy New Year to you. And how's the one? <laughs> uh, yes, I, I am, Michael. Uh, I'm very concerned. This has been a concern, concern of mine for a long time. Uh, I, I had several motions down to appoint, uh, probably for the use of a better word, a ranger that would inspect the, these estates. And some of our own, some rented property. The, the biggest problem seems to be in rented property. These landlords doesn't seem to care, but they purchase a house in an old established estate and then some different people come in and the rubbish piles up and they don't have a bin or anything like that and the vermin all around the place and councillors are kind of saying their hands are nearly tied. So we have to we have to take this very strongly now. Why are their hands tied? I, I just they, they'll they'll find them or they'll go and clean it up and they'll find them. And which of the fine is never paid, Michael? Do you know what I mean? Mm. Uh, so that they have to become more strict, more strict on it because there's great estates in the town, old and new, yeah. and and there's there's uh, speculators coming in and buying houses and all these different estates and uh, putting people into them. And they're, they're, I don't understand this though. I mean, we were talking to an old French, uh, one of your colleagues on uh, the county council the other day about the amount of fines issued and the amount paid. About a third of the fines issued are paid. But yes. we've been hearing for years about people in prison for not paying their television license. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. It it it, it 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 doesn't it doesn't add up. Well, the judicial system in this country doesn't add up anyway. Uh, but uh, and I, I know that. Mm. But um, it, I, the council has to take a stronger action. We, I don't know how many hundred thousand a year we're spending on uh, uh, with a company going around picking up rubbish off the sides of the road, which is bad enough. Mm. But now, when you see it in the front garden next door to you, and it's a lovely little estate or large estate, wherever it is, someone moves in, rents the property uh, from this speculator, and he doesn't give a hoot, can't be contacted most of the time. So I think stronger action has to be t- has to be taken on this. And I'm glad to see that there is action being taken on people that doesn't have bins. Okay, if there's two older people living in the house together, they mightn't have that much rubbish. But when you see piles of rubbish in back gardens, and I've seen it in different estates in this town, and I've been in contact with someone in 
Monaghan with a similar mm. problem. Old cars parked at the front of a house and lovely estate. Is it and commonplace, is, Tommy? Pa- sorry? Is it commonplace? Like, do you see it, it often? Yeah. It is. I do. I do. I do. And I, I, I'm, be, I'm getting very annoyed because you have very good people living in these estates and good hard-working people and try and keep the estate up to the... And then someone comes in and then they're gone in a year. Mm. God knows where. But the action should be taken immediately. Once the rubbish staff, the council well, should have the respect or environment officer to win there. And, and Well, that's it. I mean, they obviously have no respect for the neighbours, but they don't have any respect for themselves either. I mean, these no, people obviously no. don't mind living with rats. No, no, they don't mind living with them and seemingly, uh, you know, it's as simple as that because it, it has happened now. And one very old estate, a man who wasn't in the estate, but a friend of his lived in it, contacted me there last week regarding and I went up to the, I went up to mm. the house in a very old established estate, a lovely estate, mm. and this pile of rubbish out there, and in the front garden. You know, like, it's, 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 it's a catastrophe. So yeah, uh, but, they said they had reported prior to this, but uh, I, ma- I made my report on it on Monday. Are you talking about household waste or are you talking about building rubble or what is it? No, 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 it's all household waste. Oh, no, uh, no, 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 uh, no, no, no household waste, household waste. Food waste? Yes, food waste, food waste, which leaves it worse. So they're feeding you the know? rats? They're feeding, they're feeding the vermin, so yeah, my, yes. My God. So, uh, I don't know, hope, hopefully now that there is, there is action being taken, when I read that there's 80,000 people, uh, you know, have no have no bins or, or no way of uh, mm. getting uh, rid of the, 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 the waste, so... Uh, I don't know. We, we'll take strong action now. I hope that the council will now take a hand in it and go, go after these people. It's in these houses. Let it yeah. be the landlord or let it be the, the speculator landlord or the resident in the Well, house. the resident. I mean, yeah. well, you know, yeah. I, mean, I, I know uh, the ultimate responsibility is probably on the property owner, but uh, he's not the person who's uh, dumping the rubbish. But whoever is dumping the rubbish dumps it there. Uh, the council issues a fine. Then the council comes and picks up the rubbish. Yeah. The person doesn't pay the fine and that's yeah. the end of it. Just the end of it. Just the taxpayer sure. again that's got at the yeah. end of the day. Isn't it no wonder they dump the rubbish and don't do anything oh, yeah. about it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's why that's be stronger action taken and I'll be, I'll be trying my best to ensure mm. that it does take place because I, I have great respect for people in these estates and particular older estates the way that mm. kept them. And then if someone comes in, a speculator, and buys, buys one of these houses, puts someone in 12 or 14, 1,500 euro a month and he doesn't give a hoot about it. All right, listen, we leave it there, Tommy. Thanks uh, right, for thank highlighting that with you. us here this morning. Tommy Riley, Finnefall Councillor in Meath. Wednesday morning, the local papers are in your shops. Marie Kearns is in the studio with the front pages in front of her and you're going to tell us uh, what uh, the papers are reporting on this week, Marie. And you're beginning in Drogheda with uh, the local elections, uh, the feature for the Drogheda Independent. Yes, Michael, the local elections, they may be 16 weeks away, but making the front page of the Drogheda Independent this week and the reason for that is because of new changes which will mean the Drogheda which you'll know was previously one electoral area comprising 10 seats will now be divided into rural four seats and urban six seats and large parts of the town are now going to be voting in the rural district according to the Drogheda Independent it's already creating lots of confusion and it seems that in, as it seems that in some of the estates in the town such as Brookville, Newtown Meadows and Boyne Hall some of the houses are in urban and some are in rural, which means effectively that next door neighbours could be voting for different candidates. And in a bit of a cruel twist, it has transpired that some of the hopefuls seeking election live in areas where they can no longer cast a vote for themselves. Okay, and we stay in uh, Drogheda, the leader reporting on uh, property. 
Yes, this is an inside story that caught my eye and we all know about the cost of owning or renting a house or apartment in Drogheda has skyrocketed in recent years and in today's Drogheda leader, Des Grant comes up with his own solutions to ease the problem including building the Northern Cross route, redeveloping abandoned properties that have been empty for years and creating new apartments above the town centre shop. So that makes for an interesting read today, Michael. Okay, uh, look at uh, what uh, Gardy discovered in uh, the coolies uh, makes for the front of uh, the Democrat. That's right, of course. That story has been making the news over the past couple of days and the Dundalk Democrat uh, has a quote from Deputy Declan Bratnock that's saying it's a stark reminder to all of the fragility of our peace process on this island. Inside the paper, there's a rather disturbing picture on page nine showing the aftermath of a dog attack on the sheep of farmer Podrick Rice in the Ballymascanlan area who revealed that there were two killed, one died of shock the following day while another 14 were badly injured with throats cut and some had legs broken in that awful attack, Michael. In that ongoing yes, story, yes. it would seem. All right, uh, we'll stay in Dundalk. Uh, the Argus uh, leads with uh, the very tragic death of uh, a young man in a road traffic accident in America. That's right, the sad death of Mark Sands, who died in Austin, Texas, at the young age of 21, and our sympathy to his family and friends. You'll remember that terrible fire last year at St. Louis School in Dundalk, Michael, well, one of the worst losses to the school in the fire was some of the beautifully beautiful stained glass windows in the chapel hall. And the Argus on page nine is reporting that thanks to Alpha stained glass in Derry, the windows are being carefully and sensitively restored. And last week, the first few fruits of that labour were brought back to the school. Uh, fundraising success and hope for a little girl making for the lead story in the Dundalk leader then. That's right. And we had mentioned that story before when the target was nearly reached but now the good news on the front page of the leader which sums up the generous spirit of locals is that the 100,000 target has been reached that will enable little Zoe Murphy to travel to America for a life changing operation. Needless to say our parents are over the moon and say they will forever be in debt to the kind people of Dundalk describing the town as unstoppable when one of their own needs help. Alright uh, the soaring cost of insurance and the cost of rising premiums making for the lead in the Chronicle in Meath. That's conclude. right, and yeah. this is a real eye-opener that the Meath Chronicle today shining a spotlight on the difficulties facing play centres to try and remain open, open rocketing insurance costs as a result of fraudulent and exaggerated claims are forcing small businesses that cater for children to close. Sally Harding is reporting that popular activity centre Lolo Town in Navan is the latest to shut its doors as a direct result of vastly increased premiums and costs. This is a special report spread over three pages, Michael, and it really is well worth a read. All right, all interesting stories. A right mixed bag on the front of uh, the local papers this week. Marie, uh, perhaps uh, people have thoughts on some of uh, those stories that they wish to share with us because you'll be back in a few minutes' time with uh, some of uh, the comments that do come to us uh, this morning. Perhaps people have been hearing something else that they'd like to comment on or if there's an issue, as always, that anyone would like to raise with us, we'd love to hear from you. Marie is taking calls now, as is Maggie, and our telephone number is 1850 715 958. 
Now, nurses were on strike yesterday for the second uh, time uh, and indeed uh, the disruption to patient care was quite significant. Some 50,000 patients affected yesterday. They say another 50,000 will be affected tomorrow when another full day of strike action is uh, embarked on. There will be three days next week on Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday of rolling strikes and another two days the following week on the Tuesday and Thursday. The amount of patients uh, who will be impacted overall is of escalating concern as this strike action escalates and indeed it was uh, the subject of much discussion in the Dáil yesterday and uh, the Taoiseach uh, suggesting uh, that uh, increasing pay scales would not make any difference in relation to this. We've been hearing how the issue was raised at uh, the Dundalk Municipal District meeting and a motion supporting uh, the nurses uh, was uh, supported by members of uh, that uh, district. Uh, It's a Sinn Féin motion uh, and it appears as though Sinn Féin councillors have been instructed by headquarters to maximise the gain politically from the nurses' strike by raising a national issue at local authority level. We've heard about that motion that was passed in Dundalk. A similar motion failed in Drogheda, but as I say, it's assumed that this motion was written for the councillors by Sinn Féin headquarters. Uh, Kenneth Flood is a uh, councillor in Drogheda. He's here with us as is Labour Party councillor P.O. Smith. Good morning to both of you and thanks uh, for coming in. Good morning. Tell us a a little bit about the diktat from headquarters. Diktat from headquarters? No, it was a suggested motion uh, sent out uh, to all, as you can see. It was written for you, was it? it Written for... No, suggested... We often get... um, Motions it that was, would, it was written for you, was it? It was written for it. No, we don't often get motions that would be in line with the party stance on certain things sent out to us and suggested that we do. Uh, put but the suggestion forward. was a written motion, yeah. was it? Yes, yeah. yeah. so it was written for you, and the motion yeah. was submitted. Uh, and who 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 um, communicated this to the councillors? <coughs> um, Eric Charlie Cantor here allowed. Um, communicated to us. Okay, we and who communicated? Right. Um, who yeah, put yeah, it onto yeah. the uh, agenda. Mm, mm. And we had hoped to hear... Are there no local issues that Sinn Féin are interested in? Or is it trying to maximise the political gain from the sympathy that the nurses have from the public? There was four motions from the Sinn Féin councillors on the agenda. Three of them were local No, issues. but this one was written one for you. Was this one was written for you by headquarters. Did you? Did, it was a diktat, wasn't it? You it didn't have any option. But of course we have an option. Do you? Yeah, of course we have an option. And why is it that every council in the country is going to submit this, that Sinn Féin will submit this motion to every council in the country? To show our support for the nurses and the various municipal districts and councils. So you have a choice. Of course we have a choice. But all of you choose to do what you're told. And, and if we had other emotions oh. on the agenda that day, we would not have submitted it. If we had, say, the one question or one, mo- or one motion each or mm. two questions each. But as it was, there was two motions from Joanna Bourne, one from Councillor David mm. Soren and one from myself. And, what, 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 and, and, and do you support the motion? Of course I support why the motion. Do you support why the motion? The line. Why do you support the motion? That's why I was on the picket line with the why do you nurses the at Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital. I support because I support the, the calls for pay restoration and for safer working conditions for the nurses. For safer working conditions yeah. and pay restoration. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a pay increase or a pay restoration? It's not, it's not a pay mm-hmm. increase. We're asking for mm-hmm. pay restoration coming back mm-hmm. to 2008 levels. Mm-hmm. Um, the INMO um, have a graph on their website. You can see the differences between pays from mm. 
2008 levels from four second and, and third year mm. and qualified nurses and uh, <coughs> excuse me in 2008 and what they have now. There's a huge difference. Mm. Now the, the government are telling us that the economy is recovered. Then they should deal with the nurses to um, safeguard their working conditions and to restore their pay to pre-crash levels. Mm. But this uh, has, in effect, nothing to do with you. Uh, I mean, it, well, of course it does. We, we we often submit motions in support of various things that are happening. Like last month, but it'll bear no influence. La- last month, I mean, there, there was a motion from another councillor. Um, there's to, industrial to, arms of the state. Of there's, in, there's industrial arms of the state that deal with these things. But just arms of the state are not dealing with them, and the NMO have explored all those uh, avenues, gone as far as labour relations, hmm. and they haven't dealt with the issues. All right. So that's why the nurses felt for the first time in 20 years, I think the second time in the century since the foundation, that they must go out on strike. And on the picket line uh, yesterday, I was with the Lady of Lords mm. and discussed this with many of the nurses there. They felt that they're not being listened to and they have absolutely no choice. So if they believe that the political arm of the state is ignoring mm. them and doesn't want to agree with them, then a motion from a municipal district shown that its local councillors support the nurses goes a long way. Okay, well, the, the, the motion was never put to the members uh, and you accused the Labour Party of uh, talking down the clock uh, for some reason. Now, did you do that, P.O. Smith, and do you support the nurses? Uh, and if you do, why do you support uh, the nurses in taking action at one of the best-performing hospitals in the country? Well, first of all, uh, I wasn't talking down no clock. That's number one. And number two, I have no problem with the motion. In fact, I support it. And maybe Ken Are you surprised that it was written by Sinn Féin headquarters? Well, I'm not surprised... It was, uh, that it was written uh, by Sinn Féin headquarters. It's uh, a method that they use over the years to uh, get the message across to various councils. I mean, from my perspective, the business of the council in Drogheda is to do the work that we can in order to, to make changes on the ground for our communities. And uh, that's what I prioritise. Prioritize. I can't influence the nurses' strike, even though I support the motion. And the problem the other night was that Sinn Féin didn't come to the agenda with the nurses' motion as mm. uh, an emergency motion, number one. Uh, if that had come to me and said, look, you've got two motions on, can we shift one, our one up above yours? I'd have said, yeah, because we often do facilitate each other with, with, with different motions. Or they could have went to the mayor and asked the mayor to prioritise the agenda according to this motion, and he, he had the prerogative to do that. And none of, none of those things happened. I mean, at four minutes to eight... On Monday night, uh, when we were discussing, not finished discussing one of the motions that were, got to do with the Marsh Road, uh, Ken put forward a, a proposal to suspend standing orders. Now, standing orders are normally suspended to uh, deal with the business that's in hand at that point in time, not mm. to open up a new item on the agenda. And Did you not know that the nurses were going to strike? I mean, that seems, yeah, that, seems, that seems to be the impression that... Uh, no, no, we knew Peter the nurses Smith were going to strike okay. and mm. the, the motion was submitted uh, two weeks prior Mm. to the, the council meeting so it could appear on the agenda as a normal motion. Mm. In the course of the meeting we moved through business fairly quickly. Um, it was about 10 past 7 when we moved on to motions. The first three motions which is from Councillor Smith and Councillor Bell were dealt with in under 5 minutes mm. each. However then there was two motions from Mayor Frank Goffrey, motions from Tommy Bourne mm. who wasn't present so he wouldn't be heard and then four Sinn Féin motions, with the, the, the motion support of the nurses being the last one. Now, as I said, the, the previous motion was dealt with within five minutes. The answer from the council 
is on the agenda. That's why we submit them two weeks in advance to mm-hmm. give the council time to formulate the information and give us a, a proper response. We can then discuss it. But as we have the answer there, there isn't a huge amount of discussion unless it's a matter for the members, unless it's a motion like the one in support of the nurses, which will be a matter for discussion for the members. Um, did your motion ask for the nurses to give a derogation to the emergency department? No, it was in support of their uh, strike mm. and what they're calling for in the strike. Are that's you concerned no- about patient care? Of course, yeah. Are you concerned about patient care? Yeah, and so are the nurses, yeah. and that's yeah. why they're mm. on strike too. Mm. Um, there's four or five hospitals in the state that are at maximal, c- maximum capacity at all times, which means that you have to bring in other protocols where beds are between mm. beds. And the, the, the nurse to patient, care, disability the, the care, nurse to patient ratio, older people care, puts people at risk. So yeah, we're absolutely concerned about all those things. Are, are, are you concerned about the form that this strike is taking? The the, uh, the, 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 the approach, form? the approach that the nurses are, are taking in, in withdrawing labour from such critical services. The nurses feel they have absolutely no reason, and those services. But will are not, you concerned about them withdrawing their labour from such critical? I've listened to what the nurses had to say mm. had to say on the mm. picket line, and they feel that people's lives will be put at risk in the long term unless they act and change things, and that's what they're trying to do with the strike. Mm. Where? By by, take, by taking things on, onto the picket line. No, but the, where, where, where will people's lives be put at risk? If the if the current patient to nurse ratio in seven mm. hospitals isn't addressed mm. if nurses are not retained in the service mm. then people's lives will be put out. But that's not the case in Drogheda is it? It's, it's the case around the country yes, and the nurses... It's not the case, and, but patients in Drogheda or who attend Drogheda from outside of the area are having their care compromised by the, by the strike. By the strike, yeah. No nurse wants, wants to step away uh, out, to, out to a picket mm. line for two hours uh, uh, during the day which is, which is what they're doing. But they feel that they have absolutely no choice. Mm. And they're making the stand now, like I said, for I think only the second time in 100 years, excuse me, the first time mm. in 20 years, to highlight this issue because they feel they've been ignored and their concerns have been ignored. Mm. And more and more nurses are leaving the country to go to other jurisdictions because they are not treated properly in this country. Well, there is a point in that, is there not, P.O. Smith? Yeah, the whole issue, there's a number of different issues mm. here. Uh, I mean, it's got to do with retention, it's got to do with progression, it's got to do with terms and conditions. Uh, and then also the point you raise, it's got to do with sa- patient care and safety uh, when there is uh, strike action on. And the NMO are meeting on, on a daily basis with hospital management and making sure that uh, essential care is covered. Mm. Uh, the HSE is concerned that it's not. They had to cancel all surgery yesterday, mm. bar what they call blue light surgery. In other words, people who are... Uh, in need of immediate surgery, mm-hmm. uh, no planned surgery, uh, people with disabilities, uh, older people, terribly impacted by this, and emergency care impacted. No derogation for emergency care. Nurses working under instruction. It do, look, let's be real about this. When there is strike action, it does impact on, on people. So there's an onus on the two parties involved to get this sorted out. And believe me, this is going to be sorted out one way or another. And I think the way it's going to be sorted out is there'll be some type of a side deal done that will carry the 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 whole process over to the next round of uh, national pay deals and talks up to 2020 or after 2020. But it will be sorted out. It has to be sorted out and it will be sorted out. A side deal just for nurses? I, I'm giving you my opinion. I mm. think that's the way it's going to be done. Do you think so as well, Catherine? Mm. 
Um, that they'll get a special deal over army military personnel or I take it they will have to be done with them and the other other services as well again if the government are saying that the the economy is recovered and everything is back on track and we're all hunky-dory well then they should deal with all the the public servants and their pay pay demands and pay requests Okay, well I'm not sure I heard the the government say that Can I come back to why I think the the motion was uh, kept off the agenda on Monday so at the start of January Councillor Paul Bell PO's party colleague did a uh, interview where he made reference to uh, SIP2 members crossing the picket line in the strike. Mm. Um, I shared uh, stuff on Facebook, on social media, which which covered that interview. Mm-hmm. Um, Councillor Bell then went to one of our Rockdus members to complain about me sharing stuff on Facebook. I don't know if he thought that uh, I would be told to rein in or stop or not bring it up again, but I was going to bring it up again. Mm. So when we got onto the agenda, after the first motion, when the two Fine Gael members left, which I, I don't know why, I suspect they didn't want to speak about the Norse strike, then we dealt with three motions in a very quick manner. Okay, I and then to it came it to time. To, mm. but, but then Sorry, there, there, are standing, there are standing orders where uh, somebody speaks for four minutes on a motion. What happened on Monday was four members, the two independents and the two Labour mm. members who remain, spoke repeatedly on the motions there more than four minutes mm. back and forth completely okay. controversial so you're, 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 you're conflating uh, 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 trade union officials position with his role as a councillor yeah okay. I'm saying he tried to keep it right. well that's a political point no, that, that's, I, we, we believe that was the reason we expected I have to leave there. came in I have to leave it there Going to, I have to leave it there. I'm sorry, but we're run over time. Thank you indeed for coming into us this morning. That's uh, Sinn Fein Councillor Kenneth Flood, also with us, Labour Party Councillor Peel Smith. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. Now let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns uh, joins us with some of uh, the calls and text messages that have been coming to us this morning. Good morning to you, Marie. Good morning, Michael. Thomas Indon Dog says, "Hi, Mike. Just to say, the backstop would not be an issue if Mrs. May did not need the DUP." Fran, the squandering of taxpayers' money in the new children's hospital is a disgrace and those responsible must be held to account. Damien says, why can't the government, why can the government find billions for a new hospital Mm. and uh, can pay off bondholders and give themselves a pay rise yet can't find anything for the nurses who Damien feels are the ones who deserve to have their pay restored. Mm Uh, we had a tweet in from a listener during the debate there between the two councillors who says the issue is why the nurses are striking, not the mechanics of submitting a council motion. Michael Reid is, is being mischief- mischievous now with a serious issue. Plus, it is allowed the issue. Ask INMO members at Our Lady of Lords and Loud Hospital. Yeah, well, the question was, was Sinn Féin being mischievous with uh, an important issue by having uh, motions written for them at uh, a local level by headquarters uh, hoping to make a national political gain? Do you think? <laughs> there is a lot of bushes and trees along Navin that need to be cut and tidied, says Mary from Navin. They are not making the best of Navin 
Anna from Ballymun says, I think it's a disgrace the way the nurses are being treated. The government should be ashamed of themselves. The nurses do a brilliant job. The president says Anna should step in and look after the nurses. All right. Wishful thinking, I think. Hold that thought, though, for a moment, uh, because uh, there's a lot of focus on uh, the nurses and, indeed, issues relating to health. Uh, Let's hear about some of the pressure resulting from all of this on the government with political editor of the Sunday Business Post, Michael Brennan. Good morning, Michael. Thanks uh, for joining us. Uh, We've uh, the INMO, uh, the PNA, all at odds uh, with uh, the government. Uh, GPs are to hold their own rally outside of Leinster House today. And uh, whilst these may be very serious uh, and uh, pressing concerns for the government, uh, the government under significant pressure about the cost of uh, the National Children's Hospital, the minister in front of uh, the Oireachtas Committee as we speak. That's right. I've just been watching him this morning and he's facing a lot of questions, Michael, about. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. What did he know? When did he tell it? And uh, it's a very awkward time for Simon Harris. He's maintaining the first time he was told of this enormous cost overrun was was last August. And the cabinet, uh, Taoiseach Leo Radker and Finance Minister Pascal Donoghue, he told them in November and he's insisting he acted completely correct, correctly. But he's under big pressure, as you mentioned, with the nurses' strike in the, in the backdrop as well. Uh, and the Minister for Finance yesterday saying it would have been helpful had he been told uh, that there were concerns at a, an earlier stage about the cost of the children's hospital. That's right, and uh, it was very interesting to watch him in the committee where he made that comment and you know made his made his feelings known, and then instantly moved to effectively circle the wagons around Simon Harris, saying that he was an excellent uh, minister and he had no issue with them, and he had been looking to reduce the costs, you know, which is what Pascal Donoghue himself would have wanted. So. There's definitely an effort in government to protect uh, Simon Harris, but he's, uh, he's coming in for a lot of flack on this. 
Okay, and uh, the report in the Irish Times uh, today undoubtedly raised at committee level. It's saying that in October of 2017, senior officials were looking at options to address a deficit in funding. Uh, That is a year before the minister says he was aware there was a problem. That's right. Uh, the explanation this morning from the Department of Health seems to be that that wasn't the big overspend, that was the little overspend. Uh, there was a, an issue that cropped up uh, in 2017 about fire sprinklers uh, on board. Panola said effectively that the hospital didn't have enough in its plans, they needed to redesign and it was going to cost something like $61 million. So effectively that was what the department say was a cost issue back in 2017 and they say they only found out about the enormous uh, huge cost increase last August. So a problem with a, a project with a lot of problems over 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 the last two or three years. Alright uh, and uh, of course uh, the administration responsible for governing the country and uh, the money that we pay in taxes for the running of uh, the country uh, and it seems as though uh, it's a, a bottomless pit when it comes to writing blank checks. Uh, It's a very serious situation that the government has found itself in. Nobody at all seems to be able to comprehend how this has seen such an overrun at this stage. No, we've heard a few uh, potential explanations, Michael, uh, to to sort of maybe mention them very briefly. One is they went with a two-stage contract where they awarded a a fixed price for the first phase, which was sort of digging the hole in the ground. And the second phase, then, they were going to negotiate with BAM, the the successful uh, contractor, to see what the price would be there. And a lot of people are raising questions of, were you just leaving yourself an open goal for a cost to increase? Um, and then the design team left out 20 million euro of, of, of uh, what they call design emissions. So they hadn't factored in all the things they needed. As you do. A lot of, a lot of things. What's, I suppose, shocking people around Leinster oh. House is they had a, a special national paediatric hospital development board stuffed full of experts from the public sector and the private sector, people very well qualified who you would pick if you were trying to assemble a team here. And yet it still went wrong. I think people people cannot get over how, how that happened. All right. Uh, and if it wasn't serious enough in itself, uh, the minister's problems are mounting on top of each other with uh, the industrial action obviously taking its toll now and uh, patient care and safety coming into question. Uh, it, it's not a very good situation for a government to be in if it cannot deliver a health service. No, and, and this is a you know, this is a nightmare for any government where you have a very large group of, of workers out on industrial action with, you know, thirty nine thousand nurses affecting, you know, every constituency in the country and and really starting to bite on the health services now. They are in a bind though. The argument they've made consistently is they if they give extra pay to the nurses they break the public sector pay deal because everybody else will be in after them, understandably as well. So far, they've held that line, um, but you know we're into the the moving quarter now, whereas we see whose whose resolve is is stronger. Is it the nurses? Do they keep going with the rest of the strikes, or um, or do the government uh, keep their their own stance and 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 effectively wait the nurses out? So we, this is probably the decisive week, I think, in in this dispute. Right, uh, and. Uh 
did you uh, see uh, some weakness in the Taoiseach yesterday because uh, day before yesterday, the two ministers, Donoghue and Harris, uh, the Minister for Finance and the Minister for Health, issued a statement talking about talks and that they were willing to go back in, into talks with the nurses. The nurses said that there'd been no invitation to talks and uh, that this was an attempt to govern by press release. Uh, the Taoiseach then told the Dáil yesterday that uh, perhaps uh, the ministers were not as courteous as they might have been with the nurses. Yeah, it was an incredibly sort of amateur hour mistake by by the government because you know, a standard thing in dealing with trade unions is you get your message across to them in private. They then can suss it out and talk to their members about it or at least alert them in advance. And you don't make the trade union negotiators look like fools, basically. Um, and government, by putting it out there straight to the public without any advance warning, that's that's the effect they had on on the trade union. So, they, I think the, I, you know I, the nurses union would probably have resu- re- rejected it anyway. But the government just made it into a bigger disaster by the way they did it. All right, and that uh, may be compounded by tomorrow's action and indeed the three days next week. Uh, and if it continues after that with another two days planned at this stage, we'll leave it there for the moment, though, Michael. And thank you, as always, for joining us. Michael Brennan is uh, the political editor of the Sunday Business Post. Now, let's go back uh, to some more of your thoughts and comments. Marie, what else have you got yes, for us there? Yes, just sticking with the cost of the National Children's Hospital, Pat from Carrick McCross believes... An analysis of the expenses should be done for the new hospital, an itemised breakdown of every cost that the people are entitled to know where their money is going. We had lots of reaction, Michael, yesterday to the interview with Brendan O'Brien from SIPTU regarding the penalty or possible penalties being imposed by those who do, aren't registered with bin collection services. Ties in with Tommy Riley's conversation yes, this yes. morning. Yeah. And Colin from Drogheda phoned in and he says with, with all the private collectors he feels that they're just charged far too much. He says you used to be able to get the bin tags and he found that a very easy way to pay, especially for those who don't have yep. a big income yep. and he really feels that they should try and bring back the tags to try and help people. Mm. All ways should be collected by local authorities says Val from Drogheda. Uh, for local authority tenants he feels it should be added to their rent and that waivers should be given to pensioners and those who are disabled. Everybody else should pay regardless of income. He says that he was aware of people of, on welfare dumping rubbish after Christmas from goods worth thousands yet claiming they have no money to pay to dispose of their rubbish. My parents were granted a lifetime waiver by the local authority as pensioners but now have to pay just as much as large families mm. and he feels a private company should not have been brought in. Yeah, well, uh, that's it. It goes back to the issue of the tags as well. It doesn't matter how much rubbish you have. Uh, a lot of these companies insist uh, you pay regardless of whether you put the bin out a couple of times a year as some do or if you put a bin out every week. Just got a text in talking about rubbish. Are your listeners aware that a 400% increase in tonnage to dump on us at Nakarli. Landfill has been sought from on board Panala. No consideration for the health for 200 children at local schools. Height of dump to increase by 12 metres. Road structure to cater for increased traffic. Not suitable. Objections must be in to on board Panala by the 11th of February. This is very serious for all in Kenstown, Slane, Bow Park and Dulique areas. Okay. 
I better finish on that, even mm-hmm. though I've, been, I've loads right. more, as you okay. can see. <laughs> All right. Thanks for that, Marie. All right. No problem. Thank you indeed. And uh, thanks to everybody who has been in touch with us today. If you'd like to add to what's been said, as always, we'd love to hear from you. And our telephone number is 1850 Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. Minister of State Jim Daly is meeting with the National Transport Authority today to talk about rural transport. The Vintners Federation of Ireland hopes that this will result in the establishment of an Uber taxi style service. Its president is Porrick Ribbons. What we are hoping and expecting that the Minister will look for is uh, providing a solution to the problem of the lack of transport right across rural Ireland. Uh, This is a major issue from uh, Donegal to Wexford and from West Cork to Carlingford, uh, where there is no credible local um, service right across uh, rural Ireland. Uh, There are some places where there is a taxi service, but they're, they're few and far between, and they certainly are limited in what they can do at specific times. OK, and the smaller the town or village, as the case may be, the less chance there is of a, a taxi service, I, I gather. And even if there is a, a taxi, I suppose you can only be in one place at uh, one time. That's absolutely correct. This is not a reflection on the people who are providing a service at the minute, uh, but it is a reflection on a lack of government action across uh, a number of decades in providing any kind of meaningful service. And, you know, people talk about this being in relation to nights. Uh, you know, this is this is as big a problem during the day as it is at night, whether people are trying to get to a hospital appointment, a doctor appointment, whether they're trying to uh, get some personal business done if they don't have their own transport. And there are plenty of people who are dependent on either family friends or and they would much prefer to have a reasonable service where they can pay their way and have the service that they require. But is this a case of lowering the taxi standard service? Well, there are many who will argue who live in jurisdictions where uh, an Uber-type service is available that it doesn't actually lower the service at all. In actual fact, it makes the service uh, more accessible. And you've got to ask, what is a service? A service is something that is accessible at a reasonable rate. And if, if this... Uh, if it fills a void, number one, mm. uh, if it does it in a meaningful way that is both accessible and um, cost effective, uh, I, do, I, you know, I don't see how that can be lowering standards. All right. And uh, what would be required to provide the service? Well, I think that, you know, you have to have uh, things like the, the, the quality of the car has got to be right. I think that the individual should be guard vetted. Uh, and I think that there has to be make sure that there is a, a level of insurance cover in case of any incident or accident that might happen. Uh, and what about the price? I mean, as you say, uh, you'd be hoping uh, that it would be at a, a reasonable rate, uh, but how would that compare to existing taxis? Well, my understanding is that there there are there are maximum rates that can be charged, and I would I would I would suspect and expect that those maximum rates would continue to apply, and after that, it's th- down then to the arrangement between the individual and the um, the individual both providing the service and the individual taking the service. Uh, and would there be the prospect of undercutting a taxi service? Uh, that's always uh, um, a, a matter for debate, but how mm. can you undercut a service that's not there? 
Well, that's true. But, I mean, if a, a taxi driver is making a living out of taking one call and when he's finished going for another call and that call, other call isn't there or if somebody else is taking it because they're charging less, uh, there may be an issue. Yeah, and, and we can see that. But, uh, you know, I come back to the situation where, and as you say yourself, mm. uh, in, in most villages and towns, uh, there isn't a taxi service uh, uh, when it's required. And, and if there are peak occasions, then certainly that particular service is going to be overrun and just not capable of of meeting with the demands of the area at a given point in time. Okay, I take it these are the issues that the National Transport Authority would take into consideration. But uh, as you say, this is something that's required across the country, not just at night, but during the day as well. But uh, at night and perhaps during the day or during the mornings uh, when people get up after a night out, uh, drink is a factor and that's undoubtedly one of the reasons you're as interested in this as you are uh, representing vintners across uh, the country. Uh, But you've also been suggesting that there's a misunderstanding of the legislation. Well, I think what has happened, and first of all, can I say that the particular issue that we're talking about, we don't see that as, 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 as solving the, the morning after problem or the morning after issue. Yeah, certainly there, there is a misconception which is coming back to us in spades from our members right across the country that people are of the view that um, they cannot have a pint or two the night before and drive the following morning. And that has certainly been fueled by some of the advertising that we have seen over the Christmas period in particular. And, no, and nothing could be further from the the truth. I mean, the reality is, uh, and this is the medics talking, not um, not me. If you if mm, you go mm. and look at, uh, for example, the HSE website, it will say that if you drink three pints, that uh, that that three pints should be gone out of your system within a six-hour period. So if I go either at home or out and I have the equivalent of three pints before 11 o'clock tonight, mm. uh, I, should be in, I should be fine, take six hours from 11, which is five, five o'clock tomorrow morning, uh, there should be no issue. But there is uh, a total misunderstanding of how long it takes uh, alcohol to go through the system. Uh, and I've even heard people talking about being afraid to have a pint the night before and drive the following morning or a glass of wine. And, you know, that is not the scenario it's not it's it's not actually uh, the situation that pertains and that's one that we do need to find a way to address it's not possible to drink tonight and drive tonight though is it oh, no uh, no absolutely mm. i mean the 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 uh, it it takes on average about an hour for a, uh, sorry about 2 hours for a pint mm. to to go through the system about an hour for a, a measure of spirits and about two hours for a standard glass of wine. Mm. And it's per unit. It's an hour per unit and there's two units in a pint. It's an hour per unit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's two units in a pint, uh, a, a small glass of wine, uh, a very small glass of wine, about 100 mils is the equivalent of a unit or a standard measure of spirits. But th- that message is lost uh, it would appear to have been lost in a lot of the kind of uh, innuendo that was in the advertising mm. uh, campaigns over the Christmas period. Uh, uh, and is it that the message has been lost or that people uh, aren't taking the time to 
sit back and pay attention to this or they're out socialising and they're not necessarily counting the amount of units that they're consuming. They're in company and somebody's bought them a drink, they buy somebody else a drink and then they think the next day, did I have two or three and how many units is that? And it's all too confusing to be worried about. No, I, I think the real issue is that there's, there's, a, uh, there's a lack of, of proper information in the public domain as to how long it takes uh, what constitutes a unit and how long it takes that to go through the system. Th- I think that's the real issue. All right, and undoubtedly there are people uh, who aren't driving the morning after because they are over the limit. They're not having two or three pints, they're having 10 or 15 pints, as the case may be. Well, you know, uh, I'm, not, I'm not so sure there's that many having the 10 or 15 pints, but the reality is if they are there, then mm. they shouldn't be driving the following morning. We accept that. And but I mean, uh, you, you see the... The, the examples such as the one you take tend mm. to be the extreme. Well, absolutely. I, but we know from the Garda statistics that there were a lot of morning after arrests, particularly over the uh, Christmas period for people who were over the drink driving limit. Yeah, and that was and that was over the Christmas period, which is, of course, uh, you know, we all know what happens generally over the Christmas period. And it's not a representative period. And we would never suggest to any that anybody should be drinking, uh, should be driving uh, if, the, if they're over mm. the limit. But, you know, uh, there was a very high level of visibility and activity by the Gardaí over that period and it is a, it, it is a period when people do socialise a lot more than at other times of the year I think the reality is too though that for, for the fear factor that is there there's a proper uh, campaign needed in terms of education as to the effect of alcohol and when it is out of the system To rebalance that fear is Correct. it because we've heard from Danny Healy Ray talking about people being targeted the morning after on their way to mass. Uh, and that it was unfair. The bishops have come out subsequently and said that people should cooperate and not drink and drive or be over the limit if they're going to Mass or anything else for that matter. But there is this message going out to people that if you were out socialising last night, regardless of whether you had two or three and eight hours sleep, uh, that you run the risk of losing your licence and being put off the road permanently. That is absolutely correct, correct, Michael. That That is the message that has been... Um uh, I suppose there's a level of innuendo around it. it. It may not have been as specific as that, and that needs to be addressed. Because that's not the reality. The reality is, for most people, most people, if they go out at night, they're going to have two or three pints. If they have two or three pints and they're going home at kind of normal closing time, then for most people, for the vast majority of people, then they're fine to drive the following morning. And does that mean that if this taxi Uber service that we've been talking about was available to people, that you'd support this legislation? It, well, the reality is if the, if the taxi uh, Uber type thing was available, that's to address and facilitate people who want to go out and get home safely. Yes, but do you support the legislation then in automatic disqualification being caught over the limit the morning after? To be honest with you, our position, our position has been very clear. Uh, it's been very clear from day one. We saw absolutely no reason for that legislation. We didn't and still don't believe that it will save any lives, but we always respect the legislation that's put in place. Parik Cribben, uh, the president of uh, the VFI, the Vintners Federation of Ireland, speaking to me before we came on air today. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, the latest figures from the HSE National Safeguarding Office show some 10,120 concerns to it reporting alleged abuse. The most common type of abuse reported was physical abuse, which accounted for 37% of uh, the calls, psychological abuse, 29% of the reports, financial abuse, 11%, and 9% of the concerns related 
related to sexual abuse. Safeguarding Ireland is encouraging more people to report abuse if they themselves have been abused, saying that 2% of the calls that came to it came directly from people who claim to have been affected. Tim Hanley is a manager of the HSE National Safeguarding Office and he joins us now. And Good morning to you, Tim, and thanks uh, for joining us here on the programme uh, this morning. Uh, probably little surprise in how few people are reporting this type of abuse to them, given the type of people who are most vulnerable. Yes, I mean, there, there are reasons and a context as to why the figure is low. Um, we work with persons with disabilities and older persons. Um, often, um, and, and rightly so, people will speak to a trusted healthcare professional like a public health nurse, their doctor, or a trusted family member and tell them they're worried about someone's behaviour towards them. Maybe it could be bullying, could be test of their pension. Um, also, people may have communication difficulties if they've got a, a learning disability or they've um, some brain injury. Uh, and finally, people may not f- be aware that they can contact us directly themselves. So there's a variety of reasons. Um, we're part of, the, of, of a multi-agency group called Safeguarding Ireland, and we're encouraging people, if at all possible, uh, to contact us directly um, in each one of our nine safeguarding HC teams, fully recognising mm-hmm. that people may still want to contact, and, and rightly so, a healthcare professional directly. All right, and half of the reports you receive are from healthcare professionals. They are indeed. But I I gather from what you're saying, there are people who have the capacity Mm -hmm. to make a a report themselves, but for one reason or another, they don't. Uh, Do you know why that might be the case? It could be a variety of reasons, Michael. Um, uh, One could be embarrassment. Um, We know that some older people do find it difficult to report uh, maybe a family member or uh, or a friend or a neighbour who might be, say, for example, um, taking some of their pension or coercing them around property or or land or or bullying uh, behaviour. So that could be a difficult conversation to have. They may not want to get the person in trouble. Correct, yeah. Yeah. They might might want the behaviour to stop, but they might not want that person in trouble. And and, and, in serious situations, we've had to involve the Gardaí where there's theft or or the abuses of a criminal nature. Um, And that can be very difficult and very painful, embarrassing conversations may need to happen. So that could be one of the reasons. Um, Sometimes people might not recognise it, though, as abusive behaviour. It mightn't have started out as controlling, coercive behaviour, but over time, um, the caring, compassion might have gone out of the relationship and now might be a controlling relationship. So and it's become the normality of their It becomes life. a normality and they may not recognise that actually what's happening is psychological or emotional abuse or the person might say, you know, oh, I thought he was entitled to take money from my pension. I thought they were entitled to, to take money if they collected my pension. Mm. And I thought I, I had to hand him over money. Uh, so those type of situations, the person themselves may, if they're an older person or a person uh, w- with a disability, may not realise that their disability allowance and their pension is theirs. It's legally, their, their, uh, their uh, bank accounts, their property is theirs and nobody should take it without their... Uh, permission and consent. All right, and uh, I, I gather uh, that whilst uh, there is abuse by family members, vulnerable people are vulnerable to many different people, uh, and it's family members who can quite often be the person who intervenes and highlights the problem. Sure, I mean, um, 
Abuse can happen anywhere, um, in an institution, in a residential service, in a day service, in a family home, in, in a community setting. Uh, and uh, very often it's, it's another family member who is concerned or spots a change in behaviour, might see an, 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 a, a mum or a dad being withdrawn or anxious, and may, may, they may notice something is not right. They may notice that the electricity is, is, is not on, or the, or the heating isn't on in the house, or that shopping isn't being collected uh, and food might be in short supply. So there might be indicators there that another family member might spot and say there's something here not right that, that, that my mum or my dad or my brother or sister is not happy about. And they could open that conversation. Um, so, yeah, we'd encourage people to, 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 to um, be the eyes and ears, I suppose, of someone who may be vulnerable in your family. All right, and you've also been highlighting uh, how bureaucratic uh, the system can be for healthcare professionals uh, to bring forward a concern if they have one. Um, look, we're trying to make this, the, the, the approach as easy as possible. Um, sometimes it's um, challenging, uh, but we want to make it as uh, straightforward. So, you know, we, 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 I'll give out the number for our, our team in the Loudmeat area now in a moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and also that we've got a website with lots of helpful advice around what to do if you're worried, uh, if you're worried about losing control of your financial decisions, if you need help around uh, seeking out advice or advocacy for yourself, um, or how you get in touch. And sometimes people get in touch with our safeguarding teams for advice and support. They may not then report somebody or report a situation. So we try to make it a, as, as a straightforward um We'd like to get better at that mm. uh, and make it easier for people to report concerns and report abuse. Um, certainly the, the, the website that Safeguarding Ireland set up, www.safeguardingireland.org, has a lot of really helpful advice around how you'd get independent advocacy, where you go to if you have a concern, how you'd, uh, you'd recognise abuse or, or concerning behaviour and what you should do about that. Um, uh, our safeguarding team in, in the, the Loudmeat area are based in, in Ashburn and um, their number is 01691-4632 and people can phone directly there themselves or a family member or a relative who may be concerned about somebody. Um, you know, we, we're all the time trying to improve mm. the, how, we, how we respond. All right, and we'll repeat that number uh, in a moment for our listeners. Uh, but uh, whilst uh, you are asking people to make complaints themselves if they are yeah. subject to abuse or to report on behalf of somebody else, uh, you're also advising uh, that uh, we take uh, account of the fact uh, that the lives we live uh, today may change in time and our worlds uh, can be very different places as a result of that, and that we should plan for a time in our, our lives uh, when perhaps uh, we're a little bit more vulnerable than perhaps we are today yeah, of course and uh, as you know as i said um we encourage people to report directly themselves or or, or through a health care professional that they trust what safeguard in ireland has found through their research is that by international standards irish people are, are poor at planning ahead and it's not just for personal pension planning and making wills but the important healthcare decisions, you know, I, someday I may lose capacity to make a decision for myself. Um, you know, and so there's advice there in that uh, Safeguard in Ireland website about how you get independent legal advice, financial decisions, mm-hmm. also about if I lose capacity and there might be an issue about whether I can live at home or may need to go to a, a nursing home, that I don't lose control and authority and my voice is, is continually heard. A, a living will, is it? Um, yeah, well, it's mm-hmm. come, that, that's 
that's a term, I suppose. Mm. There, there are um, uh, things called enduring power of attorney where um, if you need to make certain legal or financial decisions and you, you lose capacity. Um, there's also a thing called an advanced healthcare directive coming in now where it's about healthcare decisions. What type of healthcare decisions would I like about me into the future if, if, if I lost capacity? So, you know, um, we, we know for people who... Who, who might be in need in um, medical attention or, or, or resuscitation uh, right through to, mm-hmm. to, to the type of health provision that I want. Um, so it's really making those mm-hmm. plans ahead. And, and not just the, after there's been some terrible diagnosis or prognosis. And maybe too late. The, I mean, the, the case, maybe yeah. you mm-hmm. find out that mm-hmm. it, it's too late to make that decision or, or, or maybe one should have happened. The other thing we're encouraging people is is open that conversation at home with family and friends you trust mm. and go and seek the advice. Don't leave it too late. And, you know, as I said, when people become very frail or lose capacity, they may find that some of those big decisions, be it their finances, be it their home, their property, or their own health care, you know, other people may then start making decisions for you. And, you know, that, that would be very unfortunate that your voice that could have been captured five, ten years earlier, isn't there at the table. Okay, the website is safeguardingireland.org. Uh, listeners in Loud the Mead can call the office in Ashburn on 0169-14632. Thank you indeed for joining hey, us. Thanks this very morning. much. Tim Hanley, manager of the HSE National Safeguarding Office. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now let's talk about uh, the circumstances uh, that led uh, to the death of a 23-year-old in 2011 and indeed uh, the criminal investigation into the killing of uh, Shane O'Farrell near Carrick-McCross when he was cycling home and was killed in a hit-and-run accident uh, with his mother, Lucia, once again. Good morning to you, Lucia, and thanks uh, for joining us. Uh, People will remember how the dog committed uh, to a public inquiry last June but the government has been arguing since uh, that it's not possible to establish a commission of investigation until GSOC concludes its investigations. I understand those investigations have concluded but the government isn't moving to a commission of investigation. Instead it's announced uh, that uh, there's to be a scoping uh, investigation at this stage. That's correct. Uh, We got a call on Monday evening to attend uh, Minister Flanagan's office yesterday afternoon, which we duly did, and he informed us that he had appointed a district court judge, Judge Hockton, to oversee a scoping inquiry into the circumstances to date. So that's, of course, falls short of the two-to-one public inquiry, which was ordered by the uh, doll, the vote of the people, uh, seven months ago. So, you know, that's, that's unfortunate. But uh, that's the decision um, Minister Flanagan has made at the moment. I, I gather your hope is, though, uh, that this might be the first step uh, to a public uh, inquiry because uh, this scoping exercise will determine what further inquiries are necessary, if any. Well, I think yes, and also I think any judge looking at the scale of failure to Shane, and especially where multi agencies are involved, uh, that there would be he would be in no doubt that there's, it's it's in the public interest that there be a full public inquiry into this. I mean, not alone to 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 restore confidence in the government and the administrative just administration of justice, but also that the public can be assured that the full facts have been established and that the failings were addressed, the failings to Shane, and that 
appropriate action is taken and people should be held to account to ensure that lessons are learned and the, another family doesn't suffer uh, like we have suffered. But uh, I think it's, it's, it's a step forward. Uh, you know, it's another process mm. now has been put in place. Uh, and unfortunately, we are now seven and a half years down the line mm. with still so many questions unanswered by the state. And, and they are, under EU law, duly obliged to have a full investigation into the circumstances of, the, of a death uh, to, to prevent the appearance of collusion. It should be effective and efficient and, and certainly not the case in, in our case. You take a step back, please, if you would, Lucia, because uh, GSOC has concluded its investigation into this. Uh, you were told of that on Monday evening. Do you know uh, what findings it came to? We have no idea. They sent a report apparently to Commissioner Harris. Uh, but I'm just looking here in front of me as a statement released by Jim O'Callaghan, Senior Counsel Justice Spokesperson for Fianna Fáil, and I also see a, a press release has been released from Donegal Lairdia, Justice Spokesperson for uh, Sinn Féin. But right. Jim O'Callaghan states, as I have previously stated, the GSOC report failed to uncover thorough or factual answers to very vital questions relating to Shane's death. The O'Farrell family have been unrelenting in the pursuit for justice for the son and brother. Uh, I very much hope that the scoping inquiry indicates that the government respects the vote of the Oireachtas, which supports the establishment for a full inquiry. And, and I suppose that's really it. Uh, you know, we, we welcome another development, but uh, inevitably there needs to be a public inquiry because such is the scale and the handling, there's, there's fundamental concerns about neglect, failure and cover-up in this case. And it's our family who have discovered this. We weren't given any information, as you know, and your listeners will know. It, we have pursued this for seven and a half years and uncovered, even recently, and I know you had Michael Clifford on, that the inquest was misled. So, I mean, this is very, very concerning for for natural justice and the rule of law in this country if, if statements are tampered with. Yeah, and you've taken this to the very highest level. It's uh, the support of the opposition parties. Uh, a lot of uh, government party TDs, I think, have expressed support for you. You've uh, met previously with the Taoiseach Minister for Justice uh, and so on. It's been the subject of a, a GSOC investigation. Uh, the Dáil has uh, passed uh, that motion which called for the public inquiry and now we have uh, this scoping exercise underway. Just remind us of uh, the circumstances uh, that led to to Shane's death. He was in the prime of his life cycling home uh, on that fateful day in August 2011 and then knocked down by a car being driven by this Lithuanian man, Zygmantas Grzuska. That's right. And, and I mean, as Don Collier just said, the Gdal has failed to act on the wealth of evidence it was given seven months ago. So, you know, it, to, it, to fulfil the Dahl's vote, it, there should be a public inquiry, you know, straight away. Um, we, we know, and people here in Carrick and Cross will know, that there were three Irish men killed in Carrick and Cross by Lithuanians. I'm not sure if you, all your listeners are aware of that. And the duty of this state is to protect its people. And my son was not protected. Our, our son and brother was not protected. And there's been two other Irishmen killed in Carrick and Cross. We've recently heard of Seamus Bell and there was another young man driving from Donegal killed in a head-on collision by a Lithuanian heroin addict. So it needs, this is a very serious case because it addresses everything that's wrong in the criminal justice system and the failure. And we must never forget that seven months before Shane's violent death, George O'Hagan in Monaghan said if he was arrested under theft and fraud legislation, he was to be returned to him anywhere on the circuit and he would jail him. 
And between that statement and killing Shane seven months later, he committed nine further thefts and was not returned. Now, that's appalling failure. So it's not new laws on, on, on bail we need or new bench warrants. We just need the guards to adhere to the present laws that are there. Yeah, and himself a, a heroin user, convictions for that. He had 42 convictions. He was in breach of a bail, as you say, and he, he was stopped in the car that he, he was driving an hour before killing Shane. That's right. He was pulled up by the drug squad. All three occupants were known separately to the drug squad. The driver was uninsured. There was no NCT on the car. It was extremely defective. All three were Lithuanian heroin addicts. And uh, the guards were obliged to seize that car, but unfortunately they failed to do so. And uh, within an hour, Shane was struck, carried on the roof bonnet and windscreen and left to die alone on the road. So uh, the the scale of failure, both before and after Shane's death, is, is, is actually it's terribly sad. And it's terribly be sad that a family seven and a half years on still continue to to uh, uh, search for answers and basic answers that we haven't been given uh, you know so it's so it's it's a uh, you know we're supposed to have mm. a justice system you know we're supposed to you know ireland people would think there was a justice system and that uh, these processes would take place without any family intervention but unfortunately it's our family who've who've discovered all the failings and uh, i mean as i said even recently that, that the inquest was misled so uh, there's there's no doubt about it. I think any judge looking at the scale of failure in this case, across uh, lots of agencies, not just the Gardaí, that, that there would be no doubt that there needs to be a public inquiry. Because the public, we deserve the truth, Shane deserves the truth and he deserves accountability for what happened. But the public deserves the truth as well. And the last time I spoke to you, Lucia, you said that you felt you were being denied justice because of the concerted effort to cover up the truth, because uh, the truth was too much uh, to reveal and the consequences too great. Well, I, I, I mean, if they address this, and they should do, and learn from it, and hold people to account, because you can't learn and fix something unless you actually accept that there was failure. In this case, there was deception in the prosecution of this case, and, and that's very concerning that the people that were to be Shane's voice and the voice of the people of Ireland knowingly misled the court in this case. And so there's, there's a, there is a concerted effort to keep a lid on this and keep it keep it on the down and, and kick the can down the road. But, I mean, that's not going to happen because we have tremendous support support from across the country and as I say a two to one vote in the doll by people who never had the privilege of knowing Shane who want justice for him great people from Park McLaughlin and Donegal right down to, to, to uh, Sean Sherlock and Cork and right through John McGuinness etc and, and we've great support from Sinn Féin uh, so we've no doubt that we will get a public inquiry there will be a public inquiry because uh, the people demand a public inquiry, the truth needs to come out and, and you know we, we, we've, we've obviously learned nothing in this country from the Disclosures Tribunal, bearing in mind this is the same area as the Disclosures Tribunal which we've just completed and many of the same Garda personnel are involved in, in, in failure to our son. Alright, and uh, this of course hinges on the recommendations uh, that Gerard Hockton makes. Uh, Judge Hockton is uh, to make those recommendations in eight weeks from now I think, is it? Well, that's right, but it, it, like, it's hard to believe how he could do that in eight weeks when GSOC ha- have only this month completed a seven-year investigation where we have furnished them with court orders and files of documents. So it's hard to believe how he can look at that in, in eight weeks. So, but, but we'll see how it goes. Because he's to review the criminal investigation into Shane's death. He's to review a review that was carried out by the Department of Justice. And he's also to review the disciplinary inquiry that was conducted, that was conducted by GSOC. 
Yes, but I mean, to say that there was a, a, the criminal investigation left a lot uh, to be desired. It was very, very poor. There was no CCTV taken at any stage when this man killed Shane or where he went off and concealed the car. It, they, 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 there was no investigation. It was very, very poor. I think our family would have done a better investigation had we been in the frame of mind at the time. Uh, they, they, as regards the internal independent review mechanism that was carried out, we now know that they could not... They, the barrister to look at this case couldn't look at it because one of the terms of reference was if the case was already being looked at elsewhere and ours was with GSOC, he, the barrister's hands was tied. He could not look at that. So every mechanism has been put in place to kind of delay, delay, deny, lie and, and kick the can further down the road. And I think even Donica O'Lear just said that yesterday, it, you know, it do, this uh, new decision yesterday does not fulfil the outcome of the Dáil vote. And he is concerned that this is, can has been kicked further down the road. So that's, that's what people mm. are telling me. That's what the Dáil people. And, you know, they made a vote. And their vote's not being respected. So that's uh, and you, a lot about democracy uh, in this country. Uh, right? And you were told, you say, on Monday uh, of the decision to conduct this scoping exercise. No, 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 no. We, we got a call on Monday, Joe, to say could we come up to the Minister's office yesterday. We had no oh. idea. We asked what the agenda was. We weren't told. Uh, and you, you weren't consulted on what might not happen? No, we had no we had no input whatsoever. We were The first we knew about this is when we went into the Minister's office yesterday. We were not consulted whatsoever. Okay. All right. Well, as you say, uh, you believe uh, they've been kicking it, uh, that can, that proverbial can down the road. uh, But it it appears as though they're running out of a road and uh, it's uh, coming to a head. And uh, Judge Hockton uh, to make his recommendations in eight weeks from now. Lucia, thank you, as always, for joining us this morning. Thank you, Joe. Bye-bye. That's uh, Lucia O'Farrell there, mother of Shane O'Farrell, who was killed cycling home uh, in Carrick Macross in August of 2011. Who brings our programme to its conclusion today? Our time has run out on us once again. Remember, there'll be a pro- podcast of today's programme available on our website, lmfm.ie, this afternoon. Thanks to Marie Kearns for producing, Maggie McGuire for researching, and Ross Leahy in the control tower. I'm Michael. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9 a.m., right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye bye. The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.